you 
following us online, I want to welcome you to our Wednesday night service. And like many other times, tonight I came on in and um, we came early. And we, when I say early, 
Normally, my time, our time for coming to church is one hour before service. Tonight, as I sat here and we started to sing that chorus, the most popular scripture that I ever enjoyed reading, and when I say enjoy, challenged by reading, um, I have opened up before me tonight. Before we do that, we want to pray and ask the Lord to inspire this lesson that it will challenge us. I want you to understand that my reason for preaching was never intended to entertain you or to excite you or to educate you. My reason for preaching was intended to offer you information and the laws of God, like David says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's lifestyle. I'm only concerned with the people I preach to their lifestyle. What would happen after you listen to a message? Would it change your life? Would it turn things around? So tonight, before we even start to look at any of these scriptures, uh, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of prayer. Lord, that we can come in your presence and we can bear up our needs and requests before you. Not that you're not aware, Father, but you said if we shall agree as touching anything according to your will, it shall be done. We have a lot of needs, Lord. We have physical needs, we have financial needs, we have needs that relate to our health, we have needs that relate to our spiritual growth and development. Tonight, Lord, we ask that wherever these needs are that you feel necessary to touch and inspire and help, we pray that you would please respond to these needs, Father. Tonight, we remember Brother Dan in hospital. We appreciate you working in his life and helping him. We pray you'll give him a full recovery, Father, and have him back in church. We pray for everyone missing church here tonight, that you will inspire their hearts. Let them understand the necessity of being in church and give them that desire that they might pursue methods and ways where, Father, they can fulfill your desire and your will in their lives. We pray for the work of God, Father, here in North America and around the world, that you will continue to raise up men, not blinded by traditionalism, not blinded by self-righteousness, not blinded by their own ego, Father, but Father, men that would seek you diligently, that the very name of Christ would be lifted up in their hearts, and Lord, the very image of Jesus would be impressed up in their lives so much that we can see the manifestation of the fruit coming out of their lives, Father. Help me as a minister. Help this local church, Father. I pray that, oh God, that you will continue to inspire us and bless us. Please, O oh God, we ask that you'll be with us in every aspect of, of your demands, Father, of your spirit, in every aspect of spiritual development. 
Please help us, we pray, Father. Bless the service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that most individuals fail to realize, we might sing about it, we might talk about it, is to develop the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of Jesus, is the same as the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are talking about this common lifestyle. We're talking about a common life manifested. And we that are Pentecostals, we cannot survive if we say the Spirit is not moving in the church. Amazingly, I received a letter in the mailbox this morning. I was early at the church. Don't only come early for service. I come early all the time. Then I checked the mailbox and I found a letter written to the pastor of the church, signed by Shirley, whoever Shirley was. And Shirley says she doesn't attend church, but the Holy Ghost spoke to her. And she gave me a long letter about the Holy Ghost telling her whatever, whatever. And I don't know what ghost spoke to her, but according to scripture, uh, the Lord wouldn't speak to some little sister out in the church and send a message to the pastor of the church. As a matter of fact, I believe there was a time when I had a dream. One time I dreamt. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Goodwin, who is my teacher, I dreamt him wearing a shorts, Bermuda shorts, and walking around. And I jumped up from my dream. I wonder if his life is not right. And you know, by the time I think like that, something struck me. When you dream, dream about your teacher or the spiritual leading influence in your life, it's your spirituality. It had nothing to do with Brother Goodwin. He was the influence that radiated something in my life, and that meant it was me. So when you dream, have a dream about some, that somebody that's guiding you spiritually, be careful, it might be your spiritual development. And I said that to say that this woman wrote, and she told me what the Holy Ghost did, and the Holy Ghost said, and you know, people like to use that term, the Holy Ghost told me, and the Holy Ghost said. You know how many people lie every day in the Holy Ghost? You know, if we're pumping up the service with a lot of music and people are getting wild and we say the Holy Ghost is moving, we just lied on God if God never moved. We've got to be careful what we call God and what we call the devil. I know my finger is in Isaiah. But I want to turn back in Isaiah. I have Isaiah 53, but I want to turn back to the early parts of Isaiah, which Isaiah chapter 5, where Isaiah made a statement like this. And uh, he said, he said, writing to the nation of Israel. You know, last weekend, I loved the lesson because while I was talking, I realized how important it is to recognize that most of the prophets were not sent to us. They were sent to Israel. 
Can you imagine if this Bible was available to Peter, James, and John? Just imagine they didn't write, but the Bible with all this material was available to Peter, James, and John. We wouldn't have them writing anything to us. Because they already got a load of information. And that is why today men don't hear from God because they got a lot of stuff set up before them to read. Men don't find they need to pray and seek after God because they can go to a bookstore and grab a book off the shelf and give them some theology. And if they, the books that they're reading are written by blind authors, spiritually blind authors, and in, people influenced by the wine of her fornication, uh, you'll be surprised what they are drunk with. And that is why Matthew says, when the Lord delayed his coming, that evil servant starts to eat and drink with the drunkards. Doesn't take long to get intoxicated with the wine of her fornication. And here Isaiah is telling Israel, he says in chapter 5, he says he's bunching a lot of woe unto Israel. This man, Israel did not like him because he had nothing good to say about them. If Isaiah was alive today and went to one of our convention, they'll sit down on him. If Isaiah showed up in one of our meetings and he started to look at the, at the common trend of falling on to traditionalism and how we pump things up and what we call the Holy Ghost is not really the Holy Ghost. He, they will exile him from the meeting. And Isaiah writes to Israel, he not only addressed them with some bad impressions on, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, but in chapter 5 he said here in verse 8, Woe unto the house, unto them that are joined house to house and live field to field. He says a lot of woe. Verse 11, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they might drink strong drink. This is not talking about liquor. This is talking about the wine of our fornication. This is talking about spiritual intoxication. And then he comes down here. He says, verse 13, Therefore my people are gone into captivity. I can, I can say forever. And, and this I remember so funny. I was telling someone recently. I said, I remember when we came out of Guyana... And we are in Hartford, Connecticut, and somebody says, um, I think we went to Des Moines. And somebody said to me, at that time we were not acquainted with all the doctrines and everything, and somebody says, oh, you're Brother Singh from Babylon. I said, no, I'm Brother Singh from Guyana. They said, no, Babylon, you know, like Babylon. I said, no, I'm from Guyana. But they meant Babylon, like we say, come out of her, my people. And that was the most, that was the honest answer I gave. And I thought that was cute because you're from Babylon? No, I'm from Guyana. And what we might say forever, I'm out of Babylon. You might be held in captivity and think you're free. Israel forever was held in captivity and thought they were free. Captivity to traditionalism 
Captivity to dogma that's not ordained by God. Captivity to practices and customs that God has not ordained. And if God has not ordained it or uh, commanded that it should be performed, it becomes iniquity. It's man-made customs and mechanics that's called iniquity. And so Isaiah said here, these people are gone into captivity. Who is he talking about? The Egyptians? Who is he talking about? The Assyrians? Who is he talking about? The Israelites. He's talking about God's own people. Well, you know, brother, saying that's the Israelites. We are different. No, we are not. We are worse than the Israelites. The Israelites were God-chosen people. They didn't have to mimic nothing. What you see was what you got. And he says in verse, and I'm coming down to where I want, he said in verse 20, Woe unto them. And this is what Israel did. What Israel thought was God was not really God. What Israel thought was true worship was not really true worship. What Israel taught was a good service and a good day in church was not a good day at all. And so Isaiah, very bluntly, he said, Woe unto them, verse 20, that call evil good. And they call good evil. As a matter of fact, when they look at Isaiah, they call him an evil man. False prophet. He was the only true prophet they had. All the other prophets were false. One true prophet. He says, they put darkness for light. They're teaching instruction that came from apostate Christianity somewhere that is spiritual darkness. Because the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. And he said, they put light for darkness and darkness for light. And they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And before you know it, when a service is obnoxious in the sight of God, it is pleasant to the people. Amen. And it says, Woe unto them that are mighty, verse 22, mighty to drink strong drink, and men of strength to mingle drink. Well, we got to get a little. Uh, you put your share. And so we have a meeting. And one man get up, he says, well... I'd like to share my concept of the Godhead. I believe there are three in the Godhead. Brother so-and-so. Brother Trinity said there are three. And then brother, every, when he said song, everybody said, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then brother oneness gets up. He says, well, I'd like to share my take on it. I'd like to say there is one in the Godhead. And he puts his scriptures up and he, you know, he gives you appropriate scripture. And when he's done, everybody said, praise the Lord. Amen. And the third man gets up. He says, I like to share my view of it. There are two in the Godhead. See, what's happening in that one service is this man has a different concept and this one have a different concept and the third one has a different concept. And the people in general says, well, you know what? One day we will have the right concept. So let's mingle our wine in the meantime. 
Let's mingle our strong drink in the meantime. So you put your vodka in my high wine and I drop a little Morgan rum into it. What a, what a drink. Isaiah said, Warn to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength, so called, to mingle strong drink. And that is what we do in a meeting. When we have a meeting and everyone's got a different opinion, and for some reason we convince ourselves or fantasize with the concept that one day we'll all see alike. And one year passes, and two year passes, and ten year passes, and forty year passes, and fifty year passes, and we still are contrary to each other. And then someone says, well, I got the final revelation. There's seven. We cannot mingle strong drink. But whatever we preach in the church might be argumentative and debated upon. The bottom line is, does it help to develop Christ in our lives? And so Isaiah chapter 53 tells us a little bit about Jesus here. And I'll be on this just for a little. And this Jesus that we see in Revelation, the first chapter, is Jesus in his glory. And so I have my finger in Isaiah 53, and I'm turning quickly to Revelation chapter 1. In chapter 1 of Revelation, John sees a vision of the future Jesus. He has a vision of the resurrected Christ. He has a vision that's symbolic. It is very symbolic. Anything you read in this book here it has a spiritual application. And he says in the midst, chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 13, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, I saw one like unto the Son of Man, that's Son of God, Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and guard about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like wool, and white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Can you imagine that? Use your imagination. His hairs were white as snow, and his, as white as snow, and his eyes as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, but just not just brass, brass as it burned in a furnace. And his voice like the Niagara Falls. Voice the sound of many waters falling. What a vision. Had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the midday sun, as it shineth in its strength. What an amazing picture of Jesus. And when John saw it, in his vision he fell at his feet, as though he were dead. And when you look at that, that's what Jesus will be today. But before Jesus received this, this immortality and this authority to be who he is today, and it's just symbolic of what he is, Isaiah 53 is telling you who he was when he came to this earth. And Isaiah chapter 53 says, for... 
He shall grow up, verse 2. Verse 1, who had believed our report. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before God the Father as a tender plant. When he's growing up, he's not some robust cactus. He's a tender plant. And a root out of a dry ground. When you look, Israel was parched because there was a lack of the Holy Spirit in the land of Israel. Holy Spirit is described as water. Without water, the land is parched and dry. But in the midst of that parched and dry land comes up a tender plant out of dry ground. And that was Jesus. He came up in the midst of apostasy in his time. And when we think about him, it says, John, uh, Isaiah is writing, he is despised. In his earthly ministry, he was despised. Everyone repeat that word for me tonight. And rejected. Say that again. And rejected. And then he was a man that was a giggly old Jesus. Huh? He was a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And when Israel see him, they hid as it were their faces from him. And it goes on to tell you that he was wounded, verse 5, for our sins, inherent or whatever, and he was bruised for the kind of false concept we have of worshiping God, for our iniquity. Jesus died for two reasons. One, to save us from inherent sin. Two, from false religion, man-made customs and tradition that I think every organization in the world is primed with, including us. When we think about Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is not a robust, fighting, wild, emotional Jesus. He was a man full of tranquility, maturity, modesty, and calm. And so here, as we look at this in Hebrews, I want to turn to Hebrews. Paul is writing, and I think Paul is the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Paul is writing, and he tells us, uh, gives us a few things here that we need to pay attention to, because we're thinking of a life that represents Christ. Chapter 11 Paul went on and he showed us all these champions of the faith of Hebrews. Then in chapter 12, he tells us about, he says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, we need to do something. You see, bottom line is not head knowledge. Bottom line is how we live. And if you've got sin in your life, you need to lay it down. He says, Laying aside, let us lay aside, everybody read with me, verse 12, halfway down the verse, let us lay aside, what? Say that again, every weight, and the sin that you love to involve yourself with. 
You know, every one of us have habits or wrong things that we try and ask God to help us with, and it doesn't go away easily. Well, Paul is telling you that we need to lay aside, because as we fall under rock and lay these things aside, chastening becomes less in our lives. But he says, think about Jesus. He says, for laying aside every weight, unnecessary activity in our life, and a sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience, a race that is set before us, looking for an example in Jesus. Now, many of us today in building a church, we look to other churches for examples. In building a church, we might even look to the pastor for example. In building a church, we might look to even the apostles of old as an example. But this great apostle is telling us, if we want an example to look to, look to Jesus. Jesus becomes the predominant example. Not Brother Singh, not Brother Goodwin, not Brother Jolly, not Brother Souders, not anybody. Jesus, we might set some examples when we follow Christ, when, we look, when I look to Christ as an example and incorporate His ways in my life, you can copy that. Copy my ways which be in Christ. Paul told the, the church at Corinth, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so Paul is going on to say, he says, because I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy he had, in order to finish his life the way God wanted him to finish his life, he had a goal in mind. G-O-A-L, goal in mind. His goal was the joy that was set before him. He wanted to see what he could do by dying and by living. He came to redeem mankind. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son so Jesus can offer to mankind a way of escape from sin and iniquity. That's what we just read in Isaiah 53. And so when he looked at the goal that was set before him or the joy that was set before him, he could finish the race. When I think of the kingdom and I listen to Sister Chandry's testimony the last day, and she is hoping to become something. Well, we all ought to hope to become something. And when you're hoping to be in the resurrection, it changes your life. You don't just sing and it will happen. What's the song um, about the resurrection? I'm just one day closer to the kingdom. Or you sing a song about the resurrection. You sing does not put you closer. You got to live. You got to change things in your life that hinders your relationship with God. And some might not be sin, but you got to lay aside the weights. Something holding you back from being a dedicated child of God, lay it aside. You got to lay it aside. Amen. And that is why when Israel was coming out of the wilderness, 
uh, hold your finger in, in Hebrews 12 chapter. But when Israel was coming out of, of the wilderness in Deuteronomy, the Lord told Israel some give some principles, and these principles will save anyone if they try to follow the principles that God gave Israel in Deuteronomy. And I'm thinking on the top of my head <clears throat> that I want uh, chapter uh, chapter. 7 or chapter 8 of Deuteronomy and the Lord here talks to uh, the Israel in chapter uh, from chapter 6 and Moses is repeating again he talks about when God blesses them he says they must put the commandments teach them diligently in chapter 6 verse 7 unto their children and they should write them verse 9 upon the upon the posts of the house and on the gates. And it shall be, verse 10, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land where he sware unto the fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give thee uh, great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. Now, remember, this was written to Israel. But we are spiritual Israel, and some spiritual application can be applied to our lives. And he went on to say, he says, God gives you good cities, which you didn't build, but he gave you. But I build it. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. And then God judged him and he ate grass like an animal for seven years. Don't ever think it's by your strength things are accomplished. And then he says in verse 11, and God blesses you with a house full of all good things. Well, praise the Lord. I'm getting blessed. And things are working good around me. And I can look and see like days of prosperity. It says when the Lord says, uh, which Good things which thou fillest not. And wells digged, which thou diggest not. Excuse the language, old English. Vineyards and oil, olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt... Have eaten and be full. Here is the commandment of God. He says, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. He says, when things are going good, humanity has a tendency of forgetting God. So, we're talking about Israel. Tonight, I'd like to talk about us. Have we forgotten God? When you get a job, does it drive you away from God? Because he goes on further on here in chapter 8, and he says, The Lord led thee in the wilderness, chapter 8, for 40 years, verse 2, to prove you. A lot of times we go through a wilderness to try us, to burn the chaff out of our lives. And he humbled thee, verse 3, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. God takes us through a process to teach us lessons. Are we learning? He speak at once. He speak at twice. Yet man perceiveth it not. And as you go on in Deuteronomy, the Lord tells Israel that when they get into the land, that should, in chapter 7, they come into the land, verse 1, And the Lord thy God shall bring thee into land, 
whither thou goest to possess it, and cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. When the Lord thy God shall deliver thee them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them, and shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou marry with them, thy daughter shalt thou not give to his son. And he goes on and tells Israel, because when you do this, he says, you're a holy people. Verse 6, unto the Lord thy God, and God has chosen you to be a special people. And the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor because you were more in number than anyone else, but thou were the fewest. When you're engaged and tied up and married to individuals that does not see that you see, they can draw you away from serving God. I'm going to say that again. When the person you're married to is not in church, they can draw you away from serving God. And this was said to Israel, very strong doctrine said to Israel, we're not Israelites, but we are God's children. And the principle of serving God and putting Him on the highest pedestal still survives in our lives. And so back here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, to develop the Spirit of Christ, God must process us. And Paul is going on and tells us that we look unto Jesus, verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the suffering accompanying salvation, or we're thinking salvation, despising the shame, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. And if he endure the contradictions of men, verse 3, yet he resisted, yet you have not resisted to blood. Jesus died with a goal set before him. We're not dying physically. Some of the early church did. But that which is set before us, we must understand to develop the Spirit of Christ, we must endure some of the hardships he endured. Now, I've got Hebrews 12, and I'm looking at the clock and trying to fit this lesson in. Because we are developing the Spirit of Christ, then there are things that we must suffer. Hold your finger in Hebrews 12 chapter and turn further down to the end of your Bible to Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I can't get into all of this because there's so much to be said. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is telling the whoever he's writing to, he says what you need to do. Do we just fill our heads or do we live a life? Do we fill our heads with knowledge, filling our heads or living a life? We are to live a life. We're not just to sit down and listen. 
We are to sit down incorporate the word in our hearts go out and take the challenges of life and live for God everyone chapter 2 verse 1 wherefore laying aside how much all malice and all guile we're talking lifestyle here and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking as newborn babes let's desire the sincere milk of the word of God he goes on in the same chapter he says for verse 21 he says for even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us the example that we should follow his steps there is good in suffering there is good in suffering Jesus suffered leaving us the example what does that mean he's just leaving us he suffered for us so we don't have to suffer if he's leaving us an example then we must understand that we need to see what he did and follow his example verse 22 he did no sin sin neither was guile found in his mouth and when he was reviled he did not fight back again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to the father that judges judges righteously in chapter 4 of peter peter go on and say he says because christ is the example he says um, here in verse 12 chapter 4 and verse 12 he says beloved you must not think it strange and somebody says you know your church everybody almost has something wrong with them well i'll tell you what it's good it's good whoever created the impression that the church should be a place without sacrifices and evil and sickness has misguided you before we read verse 12 let's read down further on verse 17 for the time is come that judgment begins where God's judgment of purging his people begins in the house of God and if it first begin in us if we're the churn of God and in the house of God we are being judged and processed it says, Peter says, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel? If you and I, trying to live for God, are in the house of God, and judgment begins in us, much more the individuals that are not in the house of God, serving God. He goes on, he says, for if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Hold your finger in 1 Peter 4. I'm looking at the time. I got nine minutes ago. He says um, eight minutes to go. Um, in Hebrews, back up to Hebrews. I'm coming back to 1 Peter. But over in Hebrews, uh, Paul in writing to the Hebrews in, in chapter, I think I want in chapter 12. He says, we are come, verse 22. 
He says, now we are come to Mount Zion, which is spiritually the church, unto the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels. Verse 23, let's all go together. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. This is not just gospel assembly church. This should be church of the firstborn. He says, in the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and into this place where the spirits of just men are being made perfect. This is the place where the spirits of just men are made perfect. So where does judgment begin? In the house of God. And so when I'm thinking here, I've got my finger in Hebrews 12, and I'm back going over again to 1 Peter chapter 4. Because I understand these things, in chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter, uh, Peter is saying in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning fiery trials, which is to try you. If you're in the church, and judgment begins in the church, purging is done in the church, do you expect fiery trials in the church? Can I hear you? Yes. yes. So when you're going through your trial, normally when I ask Brother, Philip, Brother Terry, I said, how are you doing? He says, hanging in there. But you know what? That's a good thing. Hang in there until the job is done. And I appreciate that man sitting there. He's not the healthiest man. But take him away. You remember I often said, take Luke away. Take Terry away. I wouldn't have Brother Joe. Take Terry away, I wouldn't have Brother Bob. I just received an offering. A man is in bed, he's a cripple, and he sends his offering every month faithfully. Some months, $300. Some months, $200. Tights. Cripple in bed. Take Terry away, we wouldn't have Brother Joe. We wouldn't have Brother Bob take Terry away. We wouldn't have Kirk. You know, I wish to, for Kirk to get out of prison and come back and be with us. He was one man that I really like. And today, Brother Terry is not the same Brother Terry that was in prison. He's going through some battles, but God's working in his life. God is working in his life. The life must be perfected before he comes to the end of his life. We all must be perfected before we come to the end of our life. And so Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. No, it's not strange. Christ becomes the example of suffering. The scripture says, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. Verse 13, when you're suffering now, what do you do? What do you do? Rejoice. Read that again. Rejoice. Verse 13. Rejoice. Why? Because you're suffering. Rejoice inasmuch as you are now partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding, exceeding joy. For if you be reproached for the name of Christ, you should be happy. What a way to go. 
And so back here in, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, as we bring this lesson to a close, Paul goes on and he says, Christ becomes the example. And that is why tonight, if we're, gonna if we're to develop the mind of Christ and the life of Christ, don't think of some fantastic somebody out on some planet somewhere. No, Jesus was despised and rejected of men. If you're a true disciple of Christ and you portray his gospel, men will reject you. And it says, You have not resisted yet to blood, thank God, striving against sin, but you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My children, my son, my children, don't ignore God's hand in your life. You know, I'm sitting here, and I was showing Jeremiah or Timothy. I said, when I do this, it crack, 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 crack. Put it down back. Lack of grease. When I do this, this one is okay. So I don't do this, I do this. Somebody says, you're not standing straight. Well, look like you got pain. Yes, I do. One side. Well, what do you do? Try to solve the problem. No, try to deal with my life. Causeless, the curse will not come. Scripture. Causeless. It's a beautiful scripture. I don't know where it is right now. But causeless, without reason, the curse will not come. Everything that happens to this body, whether presumptuously or accidentally or whatever, is for a reason, to draw me close to God. When David was lying, as I showed you on the weekend, in bed, and his bones were sticking out, and his bed was watered by his tears, that's not how he died. He got out of that bed and walked like a champion. When God raised him up. When God was finished with Job. His skin was like a baby's skin. And when God is finished with us. When chastisement is deal with us. We should not despise chastisement. But we should yield to God. For whom the Lord loveth. He chastised it. And the rest of that chapter. Paul goes on and he deals with chastisement. He says, verse 11, No chastening of the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised therefore. Wherefore, when you're going around, don't tell people which doctor is going to help them. Tell them that God is going to help them. Lift their discouraged hands up. When I look at you, don't find the flaws that you have. I must look at the good things that you have. My life becomes, you know, some people are just miserable because all they see is the flaws. That Terry, I don't know what's wrong with him. That John, he can only say certain things. John might get up and say 40 good things. And the time he said 41, you only hear the bad thing he said. Always saying that one thing. Guess what? You're a scavenger that looks for dead flesh. Ask God to change your nature 
and make you into a dove or a lark that soars up and sees the beautiful things on this planet. Isn't God good? And when all of this is done and chastisement is over, verse 14 and 15, it says, follow peace with how? All men. Follow peace with? Everybody. I like, I like Sister Chandry's changing her attitude dealing with people. Today we met a couple of individuals and she said, Dad, you see, I talked to them first. She beat me. I, I did not get a chance to open my mouth. She talked to them first. That's right. And they offered, they said, you want to sit? And they moved over and says, you want to sit here? And I said, no, if smelling like yard, we came out from the garden. And, um, but it's good. Follow peace with all men. And the last part, closing this scripture, and it says, and holiness without which no man, we have to develop holiness, a godly lifestyle. And so, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Can you fail the grace of God? Yes, you can. God's grace can come to an end. We don't want to fail the grace of God. We want to make sure that we please God. He says, lest any root of bitterness that's sitting down there trouble you. May God help us to eliminate all these old traditions and habits and customs and everything that will pervert our spirit. And let chastisement accomplish its purpose in our lives. Amen. Nice chatting with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for another service in your house. We thank you for the privilege you've given to us to come on in. We thank you for chastisement, Father. Please help us to understand that when we are chastened, Father, it's with purpose. Help us to see your purpose in everything that's done in our lives, we ask. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen.